today's message I probably won't post online, but I'm still going to record for myself. Um, just because my voice is just shot. <coughs> With the Lord, we'll get through it. Amen? Let's turn our Bibles to. Oops. Be nice if I turn this on, right? So let's turn to First Peter chapter five, verse eight. It's uh, right before Revelations. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says this. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. Resist him, verse 9, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Verse 10, and all God's, and all the God, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. A great man of God once told me, do you know why the Lord allows you to suffer? It's so that you can grow. I'm reminded of an experiment I've once talked about um, that was done in, I believe it was Tucson, Arizona. They call it the biosphere. Mm -hmm. And some of you guys remember the story of the trees in the biosphere. Basically, what they did was they wanted to see if we can make life on another planet, like Mars or something. So they did a test, and they basically made a dome. And in the dome, they had everything. They had oxygen, they had food, they had water, and um, clean facilities, and everything. It was wonderful. And they grew plants and everything. But there was something that I found out that was a very, very uh, strong fail. And it's there, and I think they have it on museum now. But when you go to the museum, they said 
everything looks so good, but you can't touch the trees. And he said, why can't they touch the trees? Because the moment you touch the tree, the tree just falls over. It's so fragile. Everything in the tree is fragile. They can barely hold its own fruit. And he's saying, how is this possible? Well, because the tree was allowed water, the tree was allowed sunlight, the tree was allowed space, good soil, but there was one thing that the tree grew up without, and that was wind. Mm. And because there was no wind, the tree grew up without resistance. Resistance is what causes the roots to grow steadfast and to take deeper root. When the tree takes a deep root, it doesn't matter what comes against it. That tree is going to stand. Now, I'm, I kind of have a little bit of a miraculous story. I have a huge, giant tree in front of my house, and, and um, it's very, very big. And when I got it, I remember some of the branches were dead, and I was tempted to cut them off. But then later on, more and more branches started dying. Finally, at the beginning of this uh, year, I realized the whole tree was dead, and it's just an eyesore. It's not producing any more green. When I found it, when I moved in, it was, you know, like only a quarter dead. But the, there was so much green on there. I didn't know how to stop it from dying. It's a giant tree, a giant type of pine tree of some type. And I was very saddened that this tree had died. But... As it so happens, I used to take walks all the time, go take these walks near the park um, or where I would work at. And there was secret places I would often find myself in, um, in the, you know, the desert areas or um, off various, uh, in, in, a, in various little coves and garden groves and um, little landscapings that people would uh, place in office buildings around the, my uh, workplace. One such tree became my favorite tree. It was a type of a tree that has a beautiful shading branches, and it's it's not too too tall, um, but some of them have gotten tall, and and uh, they they just form these beautiful shapes of these trees. It's like a twisting tree, and I love this tree so much. And I used to tell God, God, I want a tree like that, but I don't have a tree like that. And um, lo and behold, I was I was so sad one day about my tree in my front yard and you know, um, just being dead. And I remember coming up to some weeds in my front yard and I was chopping the weeds and I was like, I feel like I'm not supposed to chop this. I feel like it's not a weed. And it was purple at the bottom. I go, this is not right. Tree shouldn't be purple at the bottom. That's a weed. But then I realized quickly it was not a weed because the leaves were recognized, so recognizable. I was like, I've seen these leaves before. So I started searching around, and sure enough, I found the tree that's my favorite tree. I don't know what kind of tree it is, um, but it's a tree that we have in the desert here. It's not a Palo Verde tree, but in the beginning stages, when its roots are first offshooting, it, it, it's a little bit purple. Not much, but just a little bit in its very infant stage. And then it immediately turns to a, a, a dark, a dark um, color, which just forms its bark. And lo and behold, this tree was growing. And in fact, a landscaper come and he was, ch ch uh, he was, this landscaper was cutting all of my weeds. This landscaper was cutting all my weeds. He cut one of the branches and then he stopped and he goes, this isn't a weed. And he did the same thing. And he says, this is, this is a tree. This is, and he was telling me about the tree. And I said, yeah, that's right. That is a tree. And uh, I said, so I think I'm just going to let it 
grow. And it was just right outside my front door. You know, open the door and there's the tree, you know, at the very end of the little hallway that I have there towards my front door. Um, you, you walk a few uh, out, your, out your door and there's like a little concrete uh, hallway underneath the archway there. And, uh, and there it is just growing. You know, and it's just beautiful. And so I would twist the branches together to make it grow straight up in the air, straight up in the air, until it finally, it, it went all the way to, to the height of half of my waist. And then it went all the way to the mid, the mid area of my chest. And then it got as tall as me. And then it's as tall as my head. Now it's as tall as the um, reaches of the house, where the house comes down. And now it's getting full sunlight. And the top branches are now just starting to spread out. And now instead of twisting it around, I want it to just grow in all kinds of different directions. And it's shown itself to be resilient, beautiful. When I first saw it, there was, these, there was times when it was just leaning over so much. And, uh, and I was like, no, I don't want it to lean over. So I twisted it right. And then the wind would come. And I was tempted to put a spike on there to, to help it stay strong. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to put a spike. I'm going to let it just try and grow. Now, this plant goes to sleep at night. And at night, every evening, all of its leaves close up and it's, it just kind of like stands straight up and down. And I says, well, every night it knows how to do that. It knows to close its leaves and stand straight up and down. And in the morning, it opens up all of its leaves again, every single one of its fibers, and then it just starts doing its thing. And, and sure enough, I did not straighten it at all. I, I just, I didn't spike it or anything. And now it's straight as a whistle. It's just so straight. And we get some bad, we were getting bad monsoons. In Arizona, we have this, these terrible ground storms uh, called monsoons, which the deserts will bring in clouds of, of, of rain and clouds of dust, uh, but they're not like a normal dust storm. They're just like a giant cloud of dust filled with lightning and so much rain and so much wind. And these things are scary. And if you've never seen one before, they're like, they look like a mini tornado, or like a hurricane, but they don't spin around. But if you go in the middle of them, you'll see really bad things happen inside. And uh, just the wind goes in all directions. It's, it's very hard to really describe. It, it's something that you, you, if you're in the middle of it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you in Arizona know um, if you've been caught in them. And we, we just came out of a season where almost every night it was just monsoon after monsoon after monsoon. You'll go in the middle of the day. There's no clouds in the sky as far as the eye can see. The moment it starts turning dark, you'll see these giant, you know, balls of, uh, uh, you'll see these giant um, storms just rolling in on the ground and the helicopters will film them and they just roll right over the ground and they'll come and they'll just start destroying trees. They'll just rain and rain and rain and rain and rain and rain and the wind just knocks over trees. Well, my tree has not fallen. It's, it's pushed through the test of time it survived the monsoon season, and now I know how deep its roots go. Its roots grow deep. But because of the roots grow deep, it will produce much fruit, much foliage, much leaves. When that tree gets to grow, it's not just going to be a, a one and done thing. Um, it's not going to be one of those things that pops up overnight withers away because now its roots grow deep. The deeper your roots go, the more you have to feed off of during times of drought. So I was on vacation, I was a couple, uh, uh, a couple, way, uh, couple days away. I was gone uh, a few weeks 
and uh, I had asked uh, the person who was taking care of my house while I was gone, please water my plant, uh, my tree. And um, it turned out that that person had forgotten what, you know, to, to water it. And, but the tree was growing so deep that it had a plenty of time to survive during the times of droughts. But there's times when trees will not have what it takes. They'll spring up so quickly and everybody goes, oh wow, what a beautiful plant. But if that tree does not take root, it withers and it dies. And this is a scary thing. So let's take a look at that. In Matthew chapter 13, verse five and six, there was a story that Jesus was talking about when explaining principles in the kingdom of God, uh, specifically regarding the word of God and the condition of people's hearts. And um, let's actually just start at verse, th uh, verse number three, Matthew 13, verse three. <clears throat> and he told them many things in parables saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds of the and the birds came and ate it. Some seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, so it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up and the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, 160 or 30 times what was sold. Whoever has ears, let, him, let them hear. We see a story of a little plant that had a little bit of soil, and it grew up too quick. But there's principles here. Like the Christian faith, like your faith, if you are allowed to advance quickly through your life without experiencing the times of wind, the times of resistance, the hard times, then you're gonna find that sometimes you accelerate faster than you can actually support yourself. You're, you can produce fruit, but then what would happen is that the Lord has a dilemma. If he allows you to grow too quickly without proving yourself or without testing, then when the time comes that he does want to make you a lot bigger, you may fall with a mighty crash. Let's turn to Matthew 7. Your roots can also be synonymous with your foundation on which you stand. You see, a plant stands on its roots. The roots wrap around the soil and the rocks and the deep places and it holds fast. So it can be, as the Bible said, steadfast in our opening verse. Now, if you'll read Matthew chapter 7, verses uh, 24 through 27, we'll read it. It says, Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine, says Jesus, and puts them into practice, is like a wise man 
who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Again, if the Lord allows a person, a family, a ministry, an individual to grow without being tested or to grow without having its foundation securely set, then during a time of testing, whether by the Lord or by the devil, by the Lord's allowing, then great will the crash be of that family, that ministry, that, that thing. It could be a lot of things. It could be a marriage. If you don't have roots in your marriage, you, you'll find that sometimes a little problem can escalate very, very big into a very, very big problem. And, and it could be very dangerous to your marriage. But if you have roots that are set in your, in your, in the, by roots I mean the foundations in, within your marriage, your relationship, within your friendships, within your families, then at home, it's almost like nothing can destroy you because you have proper foundations. What is the best foundation? What is the best place to build? It's already been told here in the Word of God. That is the rock. The one who builds his house, the one who builds his, whatever you're building on the rock. You see, Jesus is the rock. If you have a relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to uh, a, a couple right now, and one of the couples is not a believer. And one of the couples is. And... I tell them, if you continue in your relationship without Jesus as the center of your relationship, then the moment hard times comes, hard times come, you're going to crash and you're going to find yourself facing a, a, a very bad situation saying, how did I get here? How did we ever arrive at this situation? How, why are we even together? Because love is not enough. You have to have Jesus as the center. Love alone can only get you so far. You have to have Jesus as the author and finisher of your faith. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who was for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, Jesus was a great inspiration, an example of what it is to hold on to his foundations. Part of that foundation for the Lord was his reasons and his purposes for starting and doing something. Anytime you take a big task or a new task, you need to have valid reasons on why you're doing what you're doing. Because when the hard time comes and you forget, while you, why you're doing something, why you've chosen to go down this path in the first place, then it only takes a little bit of hard time before you turn back, 
because you've taken your eyes off of where you're going. If you take your eyes off where you're going, you're going to find yourself going in all different directions. You're going to find yourself going off the path. Have you ever driven in traffic at night when there's uh, construction on the road? They set out these little cones on the grounds and when you're driving at night, they, uh, the traffic teachers, uh, they tell you this, don't focus on the little cones, don't stare at them, just focus on the road in front of you and where you're going in the turns. Because if you do, if you start looking at the cones, you're going to find yourself hitting every single one of those cones. Let me break it down for you in the Word of God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I'll say it again. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Well, let's look at it like this. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25 through 27, the Bible says, let, us, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to your paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Hallelujah. There's that word again, steadfast. Do not turn to the right or the left. Verse, this is 27. Keep your foot from evil. Amen. Amen. Now, why would we not need not? Why would why are we not supposed to look left or right? Hmm. Why not? Well, so let's go back to the first verse about the plowing. Okay. So this doesn't make sense for a lot of people in modern society, since most of us are not farmers. We don't plow, and and even when we do plow, we use modern day equipment. But back in the day, what they would do is they would get. Uh, a device uh, that was part was that was part animal and a part uh, wooden and bladed. Wooden and bladed. It was uh, called a yoke. yeah. It was called a yoke. So what they would do is they would yoke up an oxen or an animal, a donkey, calf, a strong bull. They would put a, a rope and string around him and in uh, uh, leather straps and strap that whole strap to a type of wooden device that the man would stand behind and he would hold with two hands and would lead down usually like a V shape to to point at the bottom of the ground like a V and at the bottom of the V there would be a type of blade uh, or wooden device that was curved just slightly upward and it dug into the ground then they would hit the animal slap the animal's back say giddy up giddy up and the animal would move forward and as he moved forward the man had to direct the direction of the plow so this plow this device he had in his hand made of wood and sometimes metal together at the bottom uh, would point into the dirt and as the animal moved forward the ground was split in two and ground that was on one side would move to the other and then it would break up the soil it was almost like putting a shovel in the ground and then having the strength to push that shovel, you know, forward and forward and forward and forward. And it, and it breaks up the ground. It, it's kind of uh, a little hard to imagine. Um, and I might be sharing the words a little bit wrong, but basically the principle is the animal moves forward, the ground is split in two. And then after the ground is split in two, they put the seeds in that ground and then cover it back up. It's a way of digging, digging very fast. 
Okay? On your own, a man is left to his own strength, but when given a plow, it's the, the work is a lot easier because it's so much more easier for an animal to walk and work the plow than this for a man to dig, 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 dig for so long. Now, the problem that the man had is that the man needed to make sure he was focused on going straight ahead. When the man would look to the left or the man would look to the right, the plow would go off course and he would get out of his lane. And then the field would be messed up. Because if you're doing acre and acre of that, you have to go straight, 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 and do these straight lines for as, for as long as your field is. And if your lines are all crooked, you're going to mess up your farming. You're going to mess up your harvesting. You're going to cause yourself so much more work. If you turn to the left and the right while you're working at the plow, it's going to be incorrect. You're going to mess up. And you're going to have a failed crop because your plants are now mixed up with some of the other lanes that they should not be getting into. And God said, no man who puts his hand to the plow and starts looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Because once you start working on that plow and you start looking back, you're going to get off course too. If you, if you turn any direction besides left and right while that, because well, once that animal takes off, he's taken off. And if you just start turning a little bit to the left, you're going to start turning your plow a little bit to the left. You look a little bit to the right, you're going to turn a little bit right. If you look back, you're going to really mess up. You can't do it blindfolded. You have to focus. You have to focus on the task that has been given before you. Well, guess what? This is no different than the work that God has given you as a believer. Some of you, God has given ministry to do. Some of you, God has given a very specific task in life. But as we're going through life, we're looking to the left, we're looking to the right, we're looking here, we're looking there. And what, happening, what is happening is we're getting off course in our faith walk. We're getting off course in what God has actually told us to do because we're doing so many other things. And it's messing us up. And this goes back into the part of Matthew chapter 13, verse 7, where it said, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Now, if you really want an, an interpretation of Matthew chapter 13, it's very easy. You just go to um, the next, few, chapter, uh, the next two, few verses. And... In verse 21 of Matthew chapter 13, it says... But since they have no root, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The, other, the seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life, the deceitfulness of money, of wealth, choke the word making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. So, what kind of things can deceive us? Well, have you ever started noticing that the more money you get, the more uh, on your pleasures you spend it? Some of us get more bigger TVs and find ourselves watching more TVs. 
Some of us get every video game that comes out and finds our, our hours being spent over game after game after game. Now, I like games, but what happens if you play too many games is your heart can be lost in your games. I haven't played video games in a couple years now, but I have been playing board games, and even your board games can, can take your heart away. The, the wealth is really deceitful that you, you get so distracted by what you're doing on the outside that you're, you lose sight of what you're actually supposed to be doing, of the plow, of the right kinds of seed, of the foundation, of growing. The other things we can get deceived is by the worries of this world. As he said, that the worries of this life and what do we do about the worries? We work, we work, we work, we work, we work. Money, 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 money. To solve our problems. When we can lose sight of God trying to take over our lives. What does God actually have for our lives? Some of us don't even know what God has for our lives. We just think it's about money. No, I mean, what does He have for you to do? What is the work that He's given you to do? What is the fruit that God is asking you to produce? I was counseling uh, someone in Chicago um, the other uh, this morning, actually, early this morning, uh, on the phone. And this individual was telling me uh, about the things that God, uh, that they didn't know what God had for them to do, but that they know that God called them to many things early in life and that they've been running away from the things that God had them to do. I said, my pastor, Pastor Kim, tells us exactly clearly that we should be producing fruit because God is coming back and looking for that kind of fruit. And the Bible tells us clearly, very clearly in Matthew 25, 14 to 30, the parable of the talents. And in the final verse, uh, well, let me back up just a little bit. In the parable of the talents, God had given responsibility to his servants. Well, guess what? You're his servants. And he's, he's giving responsibility to you and to me. And one of them did not do what he was supposed to do with what God had given him to do. He just kind of hid it. He sat on it. And then he presented himself before his master and he said, Master, I, I know that you're a hard man and, and, and uh, you scatter seed where you have not sown and you gather where you have not scattered seed. Um, so what I did was I was scared of losing it. I was scared of failing, scared of messing up. So I hid everything you have. I didn't lose a single thing you gave me, but I also did not produce any fruit with what I've been given to do. But here it is. Here's what you gave me. And some of us are betting on this, that at the end of our lives, we're going to stand before God and God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you to do? Oh, but Lord, you didn't give us anything to do. Yes, God has. God has given you things to do. And it's up to you to pray and seek out what, what missions. Why were you created on this earth? That's the most important questions you need to be asking yourself. Why am I here? What is the task that God has given me to do on this earth? Because if you think it's just to work a job, you may be very, very gravely mistaken at the end of your life on Judgment Day. If you think life is just about money and wealth, when you stand before God, God's not going to say, how much money did you make? He's not going to ask you that. He may ask you how faithful you were with the money you did get if you were wealthy. 
on this earth. If you were poor, God would judge you. He will say, were you faithful with what little you had? Whether you're rich or you're poor, God is looking for faithfulness according to your ability. And we also learn that from the parable of the talents. In the parable, Jesus said to them, um, he said he gave each according to his ability. And that's in verse number 15. But the one who had none, he appeared before God, just like some of us are betting before God, that we're going to stand before God on Judgment Day, and we're going to have really nothing to show for it. And I want you to be aware that we need to show for what we've been given and stand, therefore, on those, those directions so we can do what we're supposed to do for God. Because at the end of the chapter, he said this. This is what the master said, and this is what Jesus said, not me, so don't get angry. But God said, this is how my father is going to be treating you guys in the kingdom of God. He said, but his master answered him in verse 26. You wicked and lazy or slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and that I gather where I scatter no seed. Therefore, then you have ought to have invested my money with bankers. At my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Let's stop there for a second. God was saying, I want what I gave you, but I also want something else. Interest. He gave him one talent because he knew that the man could only handle one. And even that, he was scared to do, to fail. So he didn't do anything with even that little. And God said, at least you should have given it to people who know how to do something with it. At least some interest. Some of the men doubled their money. Some, both of the other men, the one who had three, said, oh, master, I made another three. The one who had five made another five. That, that's, that's some good investing. That's doubling your money. But God wasn't even looking for doubling. He was just looking from each one to produce the fruit that he wanted. And the one who had one, he knew he wasn't good. Otherwise, he would have given him more. He gave him one, and he said, you should have at least done this and this and that to produce interest. Give it to, if you don't know what you're supposed to be doing with your money, you need to be finding those who are doing. You want to you contribute to the gospel, you need to find some missionaries who are doing something with the gospel. If, if you're not preaching it out there, if you're not going on the streets, then maybe find some people who are going on the streets and, and sharing that gospel. Maybe you'll be a part of those kind of movements. Maybe give your money to those around the world where the gospel is being shared. Some of you just give it to charity, a nice hospital, or just to take care of the poor. But Jesus said, you'll always have the poor. Well, what's going to happen? You won't always have the Lord with you. Because the time is coming when the Lord is going to come back for His servants and saints. And then many are going to be deceived after this. There are those who are going around the world preaching the true gospel. They need Bibles. Some of them need, 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 need uh, money for, for food. They're starving. And, and they're dying left and right. And they just set up a... Your, your $50 can set up a soup kitchen and feed hundreds of people. Hundreds of people. And then they share the gospel. Why not share them then just give it to a hospital that just makes people better or the cancer society. Now you, some of you guys are saying, well, some of those societies do good things. Yeah, 
They do, but what's more important? A meal for today, a warm bed for tonight, or a soul that is going to hell forever. A soul that's lost. Because you can feed a man, you can feed a man a fish, he eats for a day, or you can give a man a fish and he can eat for a lifetime. But in the gospel, if you lead a soul to heaven, even if that soul dies, he's gonna live eternity in heaven, in blessings, in good, good things. And God will take care of his belly for the rest of his life. If it came between a man's belly and a man's soul, it's something you should think about. I can't tell you everything where to, where to give your money, but I will tell you that. That if you invest in the, in the souls, the soul winning, it's a more noble purpose than to invest in just feeding somebody a one meal. I will tell you that. There's a way better purpose for your money than to just do the here and now. There's the searching for the souls. So this is just something, I'm getting off, a little off topic. I do want you to be aware of that. God is looking for that fruit. I'm also reminded of the parable in Mark chapter 11, verse 12, when it says the next day they were leaving Bethany. Jesus was hungry. Seen in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to it to find if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves. Why? Well, because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Verse 20. In the morning when they went along, they saw the fruit tree withered from the roots. There's roots again. Peter remembered and he said, Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. No, porch fig tree. Some of us are saying, what? The fig tree didn't do nothing. Exactly. You better be ready, friends. When Jesus comes, Jesus said, therefore, oh, I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 43, he said, therefore, keep watch because you do not know on what date your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would not have he would have kept watch and would not let his house be broken into. <clears throat> so you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And that's exactly what happened to that fig tree. He didn't expect Jesus to come, so that if he knew that, he would have done his best, that unwise tree. To make sure he had some kind of fruit, even if it was bitter fruit. But it says that Jesus found nothing. Because he wasn't expecting that the Son of God would come at this time. That donkey was ready, the one Jesus rode on. <clears throat> All of creation was, was created and chosen to worship God. And now the Son of Man comes, and a, and a tree is not ready, and God curses it. But God's telling the parable to us. If you knew when Jesus would come, then you would not allow your house to be broken into. But because we don't know the hour and the day that Jesus will come, because Jesus says no man will knows the time nor the hour, then therefore, therefore keep watch, looking, 
and expecting that Jesus could come now. Expecting from you. And some of us are going to have to stand before God on judgment day. And God's going to say, where is the fruit? I sent you to this earth. I gave you the abilities. I gave you measures of love and you did not love. I gave you money. What did you use it? Only on yourself and your selfish purposes. Some of us will have nothing to say. We'll stand before God going, uh, 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 uh. And God's going to look and say, what did you do with the talents and abilities that I gave you to do? Did you do my purposes or just did you do yours purposes? Did you follow the cares of this world and the worries of your life? Or did you do my purposes? There's a reason God wants us to take root and to stand, and that's to produce fruit. I'll say that again. There's a reason God wants you to take root and to stand firm and steadfast, and that is to produce fruit. And regarding the servants, we can see in verse 45, Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants of his household to give them their food at their proper time? It'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is a wicked and says to himself, My master's staying away a long time. That's what a lot of believers say. Oh, Jesus... Uh, he's, the people have been saying he's, been, he's going to come for a long time now. And what do we do? It says in, in verse 49, Then he begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And come at an hour he is not aware. Verse 51, he will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's go back to the story of the man when God was asking him for interest. God was saying you should have at least gone to the bankers. And this was found back in Matthew 25. And in verse 29 we said, uh, in, I'm sorry, in verse 28, it says that the master said, So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to every one who has will be given more, and he, who, and he will have an abundance. But the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. And cast that worthless servant into outer darkness, in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is hell. Imagine standing before God with nothing to show, being called worthless. God, are you really that concerned with fruit? You bet he is. The reason God makes you on this earth is to produce the fruit that he's looking for with your life and to be a good faithful steward with what he's given you. That's not always money that we're talking about when we say the word steward. It's the things, the items, the spiritual gifts, the abilities, the, the word of God inside of you. There's a reason he set you to be this position. But if he is your Lord, then you obey him? Will you follow him? Or will you be an unwise, unfaithful servant? Playing around, getting drunk on life. 
getting drunk on the things of life, letting the fruit become unfruitful. What will God say? Cut it down. Cut it down. Jesus is looking for results. Follow me with Luke chapter 13. In verse 6, it says, Then Jesus told them this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for the fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of his vineyard, which represent the angels, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Another verse should say, why should it use up the soil any longer? Cut it down. Verse 8. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then again, cut it down. Wow, mercy was intercepting for this. Not only was the servants the angels, but I believe that the servants were Jesus himself. Interceding on your behalf. Some of you wonder why you're still alive. Some of you have had very close encounters with death and you know it. Some of us have gone to the verge of death and survived. Some of us have had near misses, accidents. Some of you know for certain you should not be alive, yet God has spared your life. Some of you know that God should abandon you a long time ago because of our wickedness, our sins, and He should have gave up on you. But what has He said? He said, Sir, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it. God is saying, I will invest in that plant. Maybe it just needs a little more tender love. Maybe it needs a little more tender care. Maybe it just needs a little bit more time. But God is merciful. You want to see grace? Grace is time. Some of us don't understand the concept of grace. We don't know what grace really is or how it works. Grace is time to get it right. Time to reconcile to your Lord. It's overlooking your offenses. It's like forgiveness, but grace is a period of time to step into righteousness and out of righteousness, uh, and, and step into righteousness and out of darkness without suffering the consequences. God is graceful in this way that He would give in you a time without causing you to be punished. God has been giving grace to you. Otherwise, He could just execute judgment right away. And many of you would face hell because of our wicked sins, because of our wickedness, because of our unfaithfulness, because we've been like that servant. Oh, but God would never treat me like that. God would not, I would not have to stand before God and God says laziness because I, am, uh, because I have Jesus, because I have Jesus. Don't you know? It was Jesus Himself who was telling you that parable. Who was he talking to? He was talking to the world. No, he was not. He was talking about who? His servants. Are you his servant? Oh, I'm a friend of God. I'm not a servant. Jesus says, if you do my will and the will of my Father, then you are my friends. 
And at the end, and as we read in the Bible last Sunday, the Bible says at the end of it all, we should call ourselves, we should not say and boast, we should say we are just unworthy servants. We have only done our job. Some of you stand on your little grace mountains that you make for yourself, not realizing that it's a false sense of security. Some of us think we can walk through our Christian lives without producing fruit, thinking God's going to be okay just because He loves you. He loves you so much, but He's also concerned with them. He's also concerned with what He's given you. And if you prove yourself to be a lazy servant, don't be surprised when God treats you just as He did with the lazy servant. Jesus is not telling you otherwise. He is telling you face to face. He said, this is how it is. This is how the kingdom is. This is how the servants are. And he tells you over and over again, if you think otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. You may have a version of God in your mind that you're more comfortable with. But I'm telling you, your Lord, your Jesus, your Christ is telling you to your face. He's saying he will treat you and his servants and his kingdom like this. Cut it down because he's not finding fruit. So if you have ears to hear what the Spirit says, then listen. God is calling you to that type of repentance of your life, of your fruit. You can be building your whole life and growing just on the sand, thinking you're steadfast, but every man's work will be seen for what it is. Speaking of grace, Speaking of the works to seen by what it is, and this is how we know the Holy Spirit's really moving in this message. This, is the, this, this whole message, the Lord has been guiding us through these scriptures. I don't have any notes before me, but the Lord did tell me He wanted to speak on these things. So I'm sharing with you through the Word of God what the Lord is speaking through the Holy Spirit. And if you're listening to the Spirit of God, He'll bear witness with your spirit and speak to you these things. Listen to the words found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. With the grace God has given you, what's the purpose of grace? So you have the ability to make a foundation. So you're not stricken. So you're not destroyed. You have time to build. You've been given grace, so you have time to build. And as a wise builder, it's time for you to build. But what does it say here? It says, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each of you, but each one, should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builders will suffer a loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Wow. 
Some of you Christians who are serving God will also find that the things we're building, we're building in vain. Other things we're building, we have not used the correct building materials or what God has told us to build with. Jesus said, buy from me gold refined in the fire. Buy from me. Come to me and buy where moth and rust cannot destroy. Buy what is eternal. If you're looking for that verse, it's found in Revelations 3.18. It says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. But some of us are trusting in what we already have, not realizing we actually need to go to God for our source to be able to build. Only from God can you receive the true materials on which to build, on which to stand. If you, don't, if you doubt it, look to verse 17. It says, you say I'm rich, I've grown wealthy, and I need nothing. Some of you are having that prideful mentality. But Jesus says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. But Jesus wouldn't treat me that way. Verse 19, those I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be earnest and repent. Let's read that again. Those I love, I rebuke and discipline. Therefore, be earnest and repent. See, God is concerned with his trees. The Bible says we are the bride of Christ and that makes him a husband. Do you know what the term husband means? It comes from the old farming term, meaning husbandman. It's a farming term, the, mer the one who prunes, the one who, who cultivates, the one who grows his spouse or what has been given to him to cause to blossom, the cause to cause to bloom is the one that the responsibility is the husbandman, the husband. That's the, uh, regarding marriage, it's a different sermon. But spiritually, God is going to work on you as if you were a plant. Praise God. Bearing fruit is synonymous with being God's disciples. Some of you, and listen, I still sense it in the spirit, that some of you listening are still in doubt about these things. God would not treat you this way. God is not that kind of God. Friends, friends, I love you. I am telling you this by the spirit. Please heed these words. I have no reason to tell you these things. I'm just a minister, just a messenger. But the Lord Himself has divine purposes why each one of us needs to repent and consider carefully the fruit of our lives. Because He has eternal purposes that are beyond just you. He may be thinking about somebody that needs to be touched by that ministry you're supposed to be doing. Some of you, he needs, he's thinking about that little boy who's, who's going to need to be rescued by somebody who's going to be affected by that thing that you were supposed to do because you were supposed to share the Word of God when you were supposed to. Some of you are, who are called to very evangelistic ministries and you have not shared the gospel. People are, people are dying and being lost in hell. People are going to hell left and right, left and right. And you're just thinking about yourself. We should be thinking about His purposes. Why is God bringing us on this earth? Why has God birthed us? 
to produce fruit. Let's end with John chapter 15, verse 1 through 8. Listen carefully to these words and see if what I say is true. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Think about that. He cuts off branches in him that bear no fruit. And while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Some of you are saying, God wouldn't say that because I'm working already for the Lord. God wouldn't say these kinds of things. It says he prunes. You know what prunes means? It's not the thing your grandfather drinks to go to the bathroom. <laughs> prunes is where you take the clippers. I go out to my plant, and when I see branches growing in directions I don't want that branch to go in, I cut it. When I see the plant going and, and doing a, a, a pointing downwards, I cut it because I want my branches to go up. There's no point in starting to grow wide when it has no business growing wide at those levels. I want shade first so that it can protect the rest of the plant and then produce much fruit. So what do I do? I prune it. I take my snippers. I cut it. I tend my plant. God's going to be snipping off of you. Snip, 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 snip. Oh, God doesn't snip like that? Oh, yeah, he does. He said circumcision on the eighth day, so snip, snip. <laughs> Just kidding, a little Bible joke. It's not so much, it's not so funny if you're 13 and you're getting snipped, right? Some of you guys, some of you boys are getting circumcised very late. Just look at your mom and dad and be like, why? Why didn't you do it when I was a baby? <laughs> but snip, snip, God prunes his people. Why? Again, verse 2. So that it will be even more fruitful. Some of you are saying, well, I am producing fruit. Well, then guess what God's going to say? Mm, well, now how can I make this even more fruitful? Verse 4. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. So don't get cocky. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. I was sharing a story before the sermon started about need, the need to have Holy Spirit-led services, whether they're worship services, holy dancing services, prayer services, uh, you know, uh, services of sermons. Offering everything needs to be Holy Spirit led. If we deviate from that, then God can actually take away the anointing. I, I was reminded I did a youth conference, and this is what I had said: is I had to do a youth conference one time, and I was speaking about dating. I was planning only children to be there, but there was actually a lot of adults. About half the crowd was adults, and I was breaking up my sermon part into two parts. Well, halfway during the first part of my sermon, the Lord had stopped me right in the middle of the sermon. And God had said, I need you to preach about this instead. And I had this conversation with the Lord in the back of my head and under my breath. As I was talking, I said, no, Lord, I had studied for this sermon about dating. I need to preach about dating. And I got the teens here. And the Lord says, no, I need you to preach about such and such. 
I said, Lord, how can I do that? I'm not, I, I prepared, you know, so much. And look at all these adults watching me. And they're, they're expecting me to talk about dating right now because they said I was going to. And, I, you know, I made a big deal about it and things. In the middle of the sermon, and the Lord says one more time, change your sermon. And I said, no, Lord. That day was one of the saddest days of my life. Because the anointing left me. Just right there. The anointing of God just lifted from me. And the rest of the sermon, I was left to preach out of just my own knowledge. I didn't have any anointing to preach on me at that moment. It was not a God like, it was just like my skills as, as an orator, wherever you would call it, which are pretty bad. It was me by myself and a crowd of people staring at me. And I was like, uh, um, uh, uh, and man, I stumbled so much through the rest of that sermon and I had felt not only that, but I felt so much guilt and yeah, I preached on dating, but I wonder what God would have done had I obeyed the Holy Spirit and done what he was supposed to. You obey the Lord and some of you guys are plowing in one direction and God's going to come to you and he's going to say, stop, I need you to get on a new course. I need you to get on my course. Some of you are going to say, no, Lord, we've been doing it this way for so long. Some of you are pastors listening and you're saying, no, we've been following this way for so long. Some of you uh, lead praise and worship a certain way, three fast and three slow. And some of you are going to say, no, Lord, we've been doing it this way for so long. But don't you know that Jesus also said because of the religious traditions of men, you make the word of God ineffective? I'll say it again. Because of the religious traditions of men, you make the word of God ineffective. And that's found in Mark chapter 7, verse 13. We can actually be so set in our ways that we don't want to be pruned. We don't want to be growing. We don't, and guess what? Because of that, we're not going to bear the fruit that He's wanting. Is your life really about you so much that you cannot change? You cannot alter the courses of your lives? God is warning some of you. He's looking for a particular fruit, but some of us are so set in our ways, we don't want to change. Verse 5 of Matthew 15, verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's how I felt that day. I felt like I couldn't do it. I felt like I couldn't do anything. Because I realize he has to be the source. I have to know my place. I'm not the vine. It's not by my divine knowledge. When I preach, scriptures pull out and pour out of me left and right. Why? I'm not the vine. I'm a worthless servant. But by his spirit, he knows the hearts of men. He knows what you need. There'd be times I'd be preaching a service and the, and the people would come to me after the service and say, Pastor, how did you know exactly what I needed to hear? How did you know my situation? Who told you? They say things like this to me. And I would say to them, I don't know. I don't know these things. But God knows. And He has the right words that you need to hear for today. He knows exactly what His sheep need. He is the true shepherd. Verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and it withers. Again, remember when Jesus walked up to the tree and it withered? 
God wasn't just talking about a fig tree. He was saying you will be like a plant that withers because it doesn't remain in me. But if you remain in me, verse 7, oh, sorry, verse 6, it withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you wither, that's the time to be scared. If you look and your leaves are crunchy. Now I love crunchy leaves on the floor, under my feet, to trample upon them. They remind me of potato chips. I love it. I'll go find some gardens where it's really crunchy leaves and I just crunch, 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 crunch. So fun. But what happens to the leaves? They are destroyed. And God says, such branches that are withered are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. What is the Lord talking about? Hellfire. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. It will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you may you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Again, that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You want to show yourself to be a true servant of the Lord? Bear fruit. Bear the fruit God is looking for with your life. Bear the fruit that God is choosing to come out of you. Let it come forth from you. The reason He causes you to grow and stand steadfast and take root is so that you can produce His fruit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, bless those who are listening by the sound of my voice on the internet or those who are here. I thank you, Lord, that you, you are a prayer father. My prayer, Lord, for myself is that you help me produce the kind of godly fruit you're seeking for my life. Lord, let my family and my wife produce fruit. Lord, let, us, let our churches produce fruit. Lord, let the churches that are there listening online and across the world, let them produce the kind of fruit that you're looking for. Lord, let us grow tall and be wonderful vines and branches that grow as you have engrafted us into you, Father. Be the source. Let us always remember our source. Let us be faithful with our lives. And let us not grow up so quickly that we have not learned to plant our roots deep. But let us grow, let us grow just at your pace, Father, planting our roots deep and let you cause us to grow. For the Bible says that the growth is of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for everything you've done for us. Take, take everybody's heart and, and bring healing to the depths of them, Father. Put the hearts in your hands. Bring healing to those who are brokenhearted. Bring comfort to those who need comfort. And bring love to those who need love. For you know who we are, Father. You know us in and out. Your Bible said that you did not need any testimony about a man, for you knew exactly what was in a man before he would even speak. Look inside of our hearts, God. See what we need for you. And we ask of you that you would give us our need. Take care of our problems. For the Bible says you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you pray amiss. Because of what we ask with evil motives. That we may spend what we get just on our pleasures. Lord, let us ask for you, from you that we may spend what we get on the kingdom of God. 
that we may spend our lives in service to your kingdom. Let in this way, let us all put you first. This is my prayer for the sheep listening to my voice. Bless them, take care of them, love them. I love them and I bless them. In the name of Jesus, make your face to shine upon them that they may always be with you, Father. And let us all go to heaven together and have a great celebration. Show us and lead us into our mansions and streets of gold. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.